Um, I want to, we started, I started talking to you about 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, a great and an effective door. I want to pick on that. And, um, and I think we spoke about this the other Sunday with a strong emphasis on community and on being intentional about community life. Um, on being thoughtful about community life. As we see Paul, um, you know, writing to the Corinthians um, about, about how he, he wanted to be with them and how he wanted to have quality time with them. Um, so it's a powerful scripture. And this scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, um, we really are taking that as a word of God for us for the next door that's opening for us, the next season of God uh, that's opening for us. And so, and so this is a, a, a prophetic consideration on what God is doing. And I wanted to take this as a, as a word from God uh, and apply it inside of your own life too. Um, <clears throat> that God is really getting ready to do a, a couple of things for us. A great and an effective door in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Um, I'm going to read from verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 16. So, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Uh, our focus is verse 9, but I'm going to read from verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who, who oppose me. Continues in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see to it, <clears throat> see to that, that, he, that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. In other words, Paul is calling for respect. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. So when we started about two weeks ago to read this, we read it with a great emphasis on community, of being thoughtful about community life, uh, being intentional about community life, as we see Paul write in these portions of Scripture. Um, I do want to focus on verse 9 today. A great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. A great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. So this is Paul writing, and he's talking about some breakthrough that has opened up. Let's take a great and an effective door to mean there has been a breakthrough in the purposes of God. There has been a breakthrough in the call of God, in the purposes of God. God has moved in the spirit and has facilitated some divine opportunity that has been facilitated by the hand of God. And Paul recognizes the moment, and he calls it the great and the effective door, or effective work from this uh, effective door has opened to me. Great 
an effective door has opened for, for me. Um, um, uh, and, and, and so let's take this to mean a breakthrough. A breakthrough in the purposes of God. And that's why we want to reflect upon, and as, as we think about 2024, as we think about you know, the next year, as we think about the next season, that there is a great door, uh, there is an effective door that has opened. A great door for effective work has opened for us. And that there are many who oppose. There is the reality of warfare, Paul says, acknowledges, in the midst of divine opportunity. There is the reality of warfare that has to be considered. In the opening of the realm of the spirit, in the purposes of God, Paul says, we also have to fight through the enemy because many stand to oppose me. Uh, that word oppose them means something that is placed uh, in opposition to. It's almost like obstacles that have been set by the enemy along the pathway of God. That we have to handle things that we have to be able to jump over and, 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 and overcome even as we engage the purpose of God. And so I want us to consider this word collectively, but I want us to consider this word also individually for our own personal lives, in our own personal callings, in our own vocational lives, in our own businesses. Um, let's consider this work, uh, in this word of God, because it is applicable at that level also. Paul calls this a great door. And that word great is the word mega. Mega. So he's talking about the fact that, and the word mega basically means that which is big. That which is, uh, he's talking about, hey, there's a moment to scale up the work of the Lord. There's a moment to take the work of the Lord to the next level, to scale it up, to increase it. There is a mega door. There is a wide door that's been opened in the spirit. And so he says, there's a moment, Corinthians, for me, in the spirit realm that I'm able to scale up the purposes of God. Whatever I have not been able to increase before, Paul says there is now a season of increase. There is a season of momentum. There is a, there is a season to, to cause the things of God to enlarge a little bit. There is a broad place in the spirit, Paul says. So he acknowledges that up until that moment, it's been, a, it's been a season of constriction. It's been a season of limitation. But a mega door is opened for him. A mega door is opened for him. Then he says it's not only a mega door. It's an effective door for effective work. And that word effective means uh, operational energy. It is the anointing of God falling upon a people and empowering us to be able to achieve a bunch of things we could not do before. A capacity, the ability to do things. That the things that we've always been dreaming about are now actually possible because an anointing has come from heaven for a season of a mega door. A season of a... a a, a wide open door to scale the things of God up. There is a moment to scale the things of God up. And in that moment to scale the things of God up, you need operational capacity. You need the ability to do. You need the anointing of God falling upon you and empowering you to do things that you could not do before. 
That word effective means, literally means that energy. It's the word from which you get the word, English word, energy. Vitality. The energy of the Spirit of God is, is coming up, you know, upon us inside of this season of a mega door to be able to scale the things of God up, to be able to leverage the moment and cause for there to be the increase of God. And we want to think about what does it look like for us as a collective, as a community, but also what does it look like for you as an individual, that operational capacity, that mega door, bringing energy inside of your own heart, the grace of God to do a bunch of things. And what it does, it facilitates a breakthrough in the spirit. You have to believe God for a breakthrough. And pray to God for this mega door to open. And for this operational capacity to come upon us. This anointing, this grace of God to come upon us so that we can leverage and scale the things of God up. We've got to scale. And scaling the things of God up means breaking free from the limitation of your immediate environment. That there is the now, now there is the, the, the ability to administer the purpose of God beyond the immediacy of your environment, beyond your personal life. And that's what Paul is celebrating here, that you know, he's now able to take the word of the Lord to territories beyond, beyond. Uh, you know, Psalm 89 talks about beyond the river, uh, a, a prophetic symbolism of this ability to press beyond the limitation of the, of the immediate. And how many of us now know that the immediate can actually lock you down? It, 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 can, it, can, it can press you under. You know, our local environment is great, you know, but it can lock us down. And the, 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 the plan of the enemy is actually that the things of God must be locked down. If you think about the church in Jerusalem, for a season they were locked down. And so many, there are many things that the enemy can use to lock a people down. It began with the apostles and the 11 who, in apostles after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were locked down by their own worldview. They just could not see beyond the Jewish territory. Up until the point where God, uh, you know, sends an encounter to, to, to Peter uh, when he sees these unclean animals. And God is helping them to break free from their Jewishness, their, uh, the limitation of, 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 of nationalism, of racism, of, of being locked down by uh, maybe the great things that God was doing in Jerusalem. It began with a great revival, but great things happening in a, a locality can eventually lock you down. And so a great and an effective door means God is scaling up He's taking us beyond what the river, as some chapter 89 would say, I have anointed my servant David, and I have given him the strength of my hand, that he will be able to rule even beyond the river, beyond the seas. And that ability to break free from the limitation of our local environment, our locality. And so this church in Jerusalem was a great church. It, it, it was planted with a great, out of a great revival, the breaking out of the Holy Spirit. And they met, but eventually it became clear that they were actually limited. In their worldview, they were limited in their doctrine. They did not have a doctrine for nations. 
And so, you know, sometimes churches can, can be big in, in, in numbers, but be small in doctrine. Sometimes we can have a lot of financial resources, but still be small in doctrine. They did not have a doctrine for Antioch. They just could not comprehend it doctrinally. And where there was no doctrine, there was no worldview. There was no permission in the spirit. They could not hear. The role of doctrine is to create an environment within which God can begin to speak to us. And so let us not be fooled by what may look big or small in the natural in terms of numerical size or logistical size or financial size. We need to have the infrastructure in the spirit like doctrine to be able to, to, to facilitate a mentality within a church that allows us to think beyond Deben, to think beyond the Sunday, to think beyond maybe our challenging Monday. A mentality to, and, and, and this is so crucial, especially in a time as we come out of, we've come out of, of COVID where we've had to be concerned about survival. And I think for the, for the, you know, there has been a, a spirit of surviving in the church that LSA we've got to break free from. Where it's all, it's all just about my challenges, you know. I, I can't do X, Y, Z, but actually, you know what, if I were to tell you my challenges, you might say, you know what, actually mine are better. We all have challenges. We all have challenges. But we've got to break free as we step into the next season in 2024 from the limitation of, of, of mentality, limitations that come from COVID, of surviving, of being concerned only. The, we, some of us still putting the mask in the spirit and just running away and shying away from what God. The problem is that the kingdom of God suffers violence. The kingdom of God is really on a pioneering mode. The kingdom of God is not surviving and it's not wearing a mask trying to survive. The kingdom of God is pioneering. The kingdom of God facilitates great and effective doors for us to be able to break free. So the infrastructure in the spirit becomes important. The church in Jerusalem lacked it. They, they had the spirit of God. They had a great, you know, great meetings taking place, great healings and great stories of miracles that were taking place there. Even to a certain extent, great uh, fellowship. Those who had money gave to those who did not have money, but there was a limitation of doctrine. They did not have doctrine for territories beyond themselves. And I think church in the main finds itself in that space. And I'm talking across the churches, big and small, denominations, apostolic networks, anything that you can think of that pertains to church, there is a struggle of of limitation. We, uh, we can't be limited by our own environment. Amen? We can be limited by... They, they, they thought the greatest thing was happening in Jerusalem. They started to, to be less concerned about whatever. And God had to use the death of Stephen to push them. And what they found, them, which is really not where you want to find yourself, was that their experience was surpassing their doctrine. So they, began, they had to run, right? Because of persecution, they had to run away. And as they ran, some believers began to speak the word of the Lord. But there was no doctrine for that experience. 
they lacked a doctrinal you know, uh, a framework for the experiences of the saints. So these saints were running and preaching, and as, as soon the Greeks began to be saved, and that created a crisis in the church. They needed to meet in Acts chapter 15 to consider this great and effective door that had opened for them, but found them without a doctrinal understanding to interpret it and to administer it. Amen? So in other words, God created a problem for these believers. Their experiences went ahead of their doctrine. You never ever want to find yourself there. Because that means you have a crisis of faith. You, have a, you are having an, a, an experience that, that you cannot articulate and define biblically in terms of its meaning and implications for you and for God and for the kingdom of God. That's a crisis of faith. And I think in the, in the main, you know, you know church, church finds itself there. The great things God establishes within our space, within our locality, can actually be the very things that blind us. They can be our prison. They can be the very things that limit us. And so we need a great and an effective door, but we need an infrastructure in the spirit to administer that great and an effective door. And that great and effective door means breakthrough. It means there's a harvest in the purposes of God. It means there's a season of favor. There's a season of favor. It means there's a kairos in God and an opportune time, a set of conditions that facilitate the, the outflow of the purposes of God in our lives. But the question is, do I have the spiritual infrastructure to administer it? Or I'm going to have the Jerusalem crisis. Whereas these believers were going ahead, um, it became clear there was no doctrinal understanding for Greeks getting saved. This great and mighty church of Jerusalem just did not have the understanding, the comprehension of Greeks getting saved. There was no biblical understanding of that. How that, you know, could be administer, administered. And because they had not been listening to God from Acts chapter 1 up to the moment when God breaks out, you know, broke out, they had not been listening to God and God had to take their experiences ahead of their doctrine, which is actually where you do not want to find yourself. You don't want to find yourself where your lived experience does not match up with your doctrinal understanding. It can happen, and it does happen, but actually our lived experience must be articulated to, through doctrine. We have to be able to explain why what is happening is happening. And so when we... When we start to talk about, as an example, about kingdom humanity and a, a framework of faith in which we need to be devotional as priests and incarnate Jesus as human beings and be inhabitants in spaces of life, we're defining a doctrinal framework for a lived experience that is breaking out in God. To be able to explain our faith to ourselves and to those around us. And these people could not do that. So Paul celebrates this great and effective door. I want to go back to the book of Acts and track this journey of Paul um, uh, that leads to this moment when he's talking about the great and an effective door. And the reason for this exercise, it takes us straight into the mind of Paul and into his journey. And 
should then allow us and empower us to be able to administer our own moment of a great and an effective dose. So I'm just going to give you an outline. We're not going to read all the scriptures. It's just giving you an outline of what actually took place. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He had been to Corinth for about 18 months. And he left them. He had been there 18 months. was pretty long. And the reason why he stayed there that long was because God had said to him, stay in the city of Corinth and proclaim my word because I have many people here. And Paul did that for 18 months and uh, he left the city. He's writing about the great and ineffective door in the context of Ephesus. Uh, when we track Paul's journey, if we begin, we know that in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned, right? Out of the church of Antioch. When the church is praying, the leaders are meeting and praying, the Spirit of God speaks and he commissions Paul and Barnabas. Set, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to do. And Paul and Barnabas launch into that missionary, missional journey. They begin to preach the gospel. They begin to preach the kingdom. Again, in their, their ministry is tested because... It becomes clear along the way that there is a lacking of spiritual infrastructure to explain their ministry. As Gentiles get saved, this question of circumcision arises. And I think the Acts chapter 15 becomes a very significant chapter in Paul's journey as they come back together and to explain or discuss the question of physical circumcision. Some believers were saying, well, for the Gentiles to be truly saved, they actually need to be physically circumcised. And so there was a problem of mixing of Judaism with the with the with the with the with with grace and with the understanding of the new covenant. So in Acts chapter 15, if we use that as a landmark, they gather to discuss the matter of physical circumcision. And they come at a arrive at a resolution. Actually, physical circumcision was no longer a requirement in the new covenant. Paul and Barnabas are commissioned from that point on to go and deliver the letter uh, of resolution of that conference. And they go from church to church delivering that letter. And obviously, um, that brings the letter brings great encouragement to the churches. And we find a difficulty. Paul and Barnabas arrive at this disagreement, this conflict. So we are getting into the mind of Paul here. He started his ministry in Acts chapter 13 with Paul and Barnabas. They've had a great ministry together. They bump into a doctrinal crisis which leads to a conference, the very first conference of the church in Acts chapter 15. They go out to encourage churches and they arrive or they lend themselves in this conflict, Paul and Barnabas. So we can see Paul is a troubled man by this point. Remember, God had recently said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. That's not the guy I want to be fighting with. In other words, that's not the guy I want to be fighting with. They fight over John Mark. That's a guy that would have written the gospel according to Mark. Um, and uh, 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 Barnabas 
being the, the man that he was, the kind of man that he was, wanted to bring John Mark into the team, and Paul thought it was not a great idea because John Mark had deserted them before. So Paul basically, they basically are fighting over philosophy of ministry. That's when, that's actually what churches and leaders usually fight over. They are really fighting over a philosophy of ministry. Paul thinks, well, John is okay, but he's not fit for this ministry. Barnabas thinks otherwise, and the word says they fought so, the argument got so heated that they agreed to disagree. When leaders agree to disagree, then you know we have a problem. And they went a separate way from that time in Acts chapter 15. So we're tracking Paul. He's a troubled man. He's just lost a significant partner in the purposes of God. He's probably wondering, what's happening now about the plan of God and the purpose of God? How do I fulfill this without Barnabas standing alongside me? In my view, in my personal view, and there's always a question who was right and who was wrong, and I guess in some sense there's no right or wrong. But in my view, um, uh, this is a personal view. I, I, think, I think Paul, being the, 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 the emerging leader of the team, probably had to call the shot in terms of who had to be in the, in the team. That's the one thing, right? The second thing is that we also test that question by tracing who does the camera follow after that moment. Who does the camera follow? Paul. You actually don't hear about Barnabas after that moment. Paul finds, after that, Paul finds a new partner, Silas. He, Silas is a prophet. And he arrives at this place in Acts chapter 16 where he finds a young man called Timothy that everybody was bragging about. Timothy was a great, great disciple. And Paul sees in Timothy what he did not see in John Mark. And he decides that actually Timothy is the kind of guy that we want to take. And we know that their relationship grows very intimately. Because later when he writes to Timothy, he writes to Timothy, my dear son. So that relationship really grows very, very closely over, over the years as they work together. So he takes, we don't know how old Timothy was. He was a young man, probably, was in the, probably late teens or uh, uh, early, early, early 20s. And Paul decides to circumcise him because he, was, he came out of a mixed uh, you know, marriage of a Greek and the Jew. And, the, and, and Paul knew that the Jews, the issue of circumcision being still big, would be concerned about whether Timothy was circumcised or not. How would you, Winslow, how would you want you know, somebody to be concerned about a private matter, matter like whether I'm circumcised or not. It's like it's my thing there. It's a private matter. But Paul circumcises this old man. Would have been a funny thing, I think. Would have loved to be there. But it speaks into a significant uh, dynamic of leadership even. That for Timothy to come fully into the team of Paul, he had to be handled in the most vulnerable way by Paul. Amen had to be handled in the most vulnerable way by Paul. And so we see Paul, I mean, Timothy being in integrated into the team. Then we get into Acts chapter 16. 
in Acts chapter 16, Paul with the team, the Silas and Timothy and other people, I think Luke, the doctor, the medical doctor, was in the team there. He's a, he's, a, he's a kind of a funny guy, a medical doctor and a historian. He actually wrote the book of Acts, the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. He's quite a structured, systematic historian. And so they're all in the team. They're wondering what's the next thing in Acts chapter 16. The Spirit of God, the word says the Spirit of God forbids them from entering certain territories. And this is very significant, LSA. And the reason why I'm outlining this is because... By the time we talk about a great and effective door, we have to be the kind of people that are sensitive to the, for, to the forbidding Holy Spirit. That he can say no sometimes to things. When we say great and effective door, we're not just talking about, hey, yeah, we grab everything that comes our way. So Paul and the team are struggling through this. They, you know, so, so it's almost like God, you know, adds another trouble. You know, Paul has just resolved the issue of circumcision during the conference in Acts chapter 15. He's just lost his dear partner in Barnabas. He's got a new partner, Silas. You know. So these challenges of church have always been there. And, and, and God, God has, to, has always found a way to work around them. So Paul has a new partner, Silas. He's got a new partner, uh, Timothy. And other guys, now they are wrestling with God. Where are you sending us? All they keep hearing is no. They try to enter this territory. God says no. They try to enter that territory. They were trying to enter the region of Asia. And God kept on saying no to them. Up until that moment when Paul has a dream, a vision, where he sees a man from Macedonia. A man from Macedonia who said in the vision, come and help us. So that becomes a significant moment in Paul's ministry. And we know that as Paul follows that vision, it says in Exodus 16 verse 10, we concluded that God was calling us to the region of Macedonia. So this becomes a significant territorial shift from the region of Asia to the region of Macedonia. And they follow that vision of the man from Macedonia, and they lend themselves in Philippi. We know we have the book to the Philippians, a great church, right? And the first person they meet there is not, as a vision would have suggested, a man. It was who? A woman called Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She sells uh, purple cloth, and you know, purple cloth in those days basically had to do with um, uh, nobility and royalty. So uh, um, and she's dealing in purple cloth and all of these things. And she opens, the word says, God opened the heart of Lydia. And what then happened is she invites them to her house. And she was very, very generous, clearly, to Paul's team. And we can see Paul is like, oh God, I can now see you. It's been a moment of, couple of difficult moments, right? Firstly, you know, Acts chapter 15, circumcision issue, losing his partner in Barnabas, you know, having to basically co-opt new partners into the team, and then the Spirit of God saying, no, you can't go to Asia. And Paul is like, I thought I'm, I'm an apostle to nations. I thought I, there was no territory that I could, go, I could not go to. And so 
he lands himself in Macedonia, in, in, in the region of Macedonia and Philippi, and, and, and Lydia gets saved. And we know the story. Uh, eventually, they, you know, they get in, in, imprisoned, uh, and they were beaten up, and all sorts of things happened. Was he had set free, and uh, delivered a young girl who had a demon upon him. What does this tell us? tells us that open doors in the spirit, doors that God has opened, will also come with challenges. There will also be prisons and beatings through those, through those open doors. In Exodus 18, Paul goes to Corinth, and there God speaks to him about, I have many people here, and he preaches there for 18 months. He meets this very significant couple called Aquila and Priscilla, Remember those guys? And they are business people. They're very good uh, 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 couple, but also they are in the business of tent making. And Paul had the same craft, and together for a moment, they make uh, tents. And you can imagine they were making tents and selling them, making some money to, to resource the ministry. In Acts chapter 18, from verse 18, I want us to read that. In Acts chapter 18, and verse 18, Paul arrives in Ephesus for the first time. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 18. So we said that the great and effective door has to do with Ephesus, right? A great and effective door has opened for me. I'm going to stay in Ephesus. I can see that God is doing something amazing here. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he's just met this couple and they formed a greater you know, you know, you know, relationship, friendship in the ministry. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancrea uh, 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 because of a vow he had taken. In verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. Amazing. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. If it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. I will be back if it's God's will. This is what he says in Ephesus. So Paul has a first encounter in Ephesus. He's interacting with the Jews there. He's speaking the word of the Lord in the in synagogue. But it does not seem to, he does not seem to pick any divine momentum in the spirit of God. And what that speaks into LSA is that the great and effective door principle was we know that Paul is referring to Ephesus may actually apply to territories that are familiar to us. Because, so he goes there for the first time in Acts 18. He preaches the word of God. They plead with him to stay. And he says, I cannot stay. He leaves. He says, I will be back if it is the will of God. How amazing is this? And, 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 and then let's go back to, let's go to Acts chapter 19. 
So that's Acts chapter 18. Paul arrives in Ephesus. He speaks the word of the Lord. He leaves and they're pleading with him to stay. And he says, I will be back if it is the will of God. In verse 1 in Acts chapter 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So this is the second time, right? Right? There he found some disciples and asked them, Do you did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told them, he uh, told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, this second encounter in Ephesus seems to facilitate a breaking out of something in the purposes of God. Which means that a great and effective door, LSA, may actually speak into territories that we are very familiar with and that we have tried before and, and, and that may have not, which, uh, you know, doors that, that may, or territory that may have not worked before. So we don't want to close our minds and our spirits to even the familiar spaces that we've ministered to before, but that have not picked on the word of the Lord. The second time, Paul is in Ephesus and he finds these 12 disciples and he speaks the word of the Lord to them and something breaks. They receive the Holy Spirit. So we realize, firstly, in this story, that the great and effective door may very well be in territories that are under our nose. That we have to be discerning of the Spirit of God. It may be with friends that we've always been speaking to about the word of the Lord who, who may have not listened to us in times past, but that are being positioned by the Lord now to actually open their hearts and to hear the word of the Lord. Like it happens in the case of Paul. That's the first thing that we note. The second thing that we note in this story is that the great and effective door does not mean you're going to be bumping into some powerful and dynamic believers. What does Paul find in Ephesus? Some 12 weak, Holy Spirit empty believers whose doctrine of God was clearly in question because they didn't even know about the Holy Spirit, which means they did not know about the Trinity. But he sees a moment in, inside of this encounter with these guys as he interacts with them. Out of the moment of their weakness, Paul perceives a great and an effective door. And he begins to speak the word of the Lord to them. He opens their understanding to the reality of the Trinity of God. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, they are baptized, they are filled, they prophesy, they speak in tongues. The next thing that Paul does after... The Holy Spirit baptism is that he takes these guys to a school and begins to teach them. I think it says for about two years in Acts chapter 19 verse 9. He taught them about the things of God. It is out of the teaching that they receive that the miracles begin to break out in the city. So what is calling a great and effective door? We're now quantifying that. 
Firstly, he finds his weak, miserable believers. They have lost track of the historical developments of the kingdom of God. They, they, are not, they don't carry the same understanding that he does. Which means great and effective door does not mean you're going to find people that necessarily have the same understanding as you. Amen? Yeah? So he speaks to them. The great thing that they possess is the openness of heart. They have an open heart to receive the word from Paul and out of which they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he takes them into a school, a lecture hall for two years in Acts chapter 9, verse 19, verse 9. He is teaching them about the kingdom of God. Out of that, there's some connection between that and the miraculous power of God breaking out in the city. People got so healed to the point where we get to hear about the sons of Sceva. Remember the sons of Sceva? You know, they tap into the, the anointing of Paul. Amazing things are happening. So what does God, you know, when we quantify the great and effective door, it was the breaking out of the Holy Spirit. It was the, the, the release of the, of, 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 of the word of God through teaching. As Paul taught these people for two years, it was a bringing out of the miraculous, but it was also societal transformation. It was the industry, as people get convicted, converted, and as people confess their sins, they leave sorcery behind. And the silversmiths get concerned, the craftsmen who used to, you know, make shrines of a goddess in Ephesus get concerned because their business literally got affected. Which means that actually Paul transformed society. That's what we have to believe God for. He transformed society. Not only did he release the Holy Spirit. Not only did he release a great word through teaching. Not only did he unleash the miraculous in the city. But he also brought societal transformation in the city. And we know that that got him into trouble. It got him into trouble with the silversmiths and, and the craftsmen who used to make these, these, uh, these shrines for the goddess in Ephesus. But that's where Paul lends himself in this great, and we know later that Ephesus becomes a great church that Paul ever planted. We know this by the kind of letter that he writes to this church. You know, Ephesus was simply a great apostolic center that Paul ever established. A great and an effective door begins with processing troubles. Amen? And processing uh, maybe the breaking of relationships and the challenges. It begins with walking through a season of limitation as, as the Spirit of God would say no a couple of times before he, he has to say yes. But it is a discipline to keep listening and obeying the voice of the Lord. To say, hey, I, I, I will not, I will not, I'm not in this ministry to prove anything. You know, we get to that point where God has emptied us to a point where we are no longer, it's no longer a performance. We're not trying to prove a point to somebody. We are listening to the voice of God. And Paul has to bring in new members into the team. He has to get used to Silas. Is to get used to Timothy. It's a relationship journey all over again. And God has to work with that. And they function and operate together as a team. They're seeking the mind of God. And God breaks out through a vision. 
a man from Macedonia. And they realize, okay, it's time to leave the region of Asia. This is time now to break out into Macedonia. And they follow that voice of the Lord. And upon, you know, through in the process, they come, they bump into Lydia. They are open in their interpretation of what was the word of God. In the vision was a male. In the real manifestation was a woman. Lydia that they first encounter in Philippi. And Philippi becomes one of the great churches that Paul establishes, as we again can see in the letter to the Philippians. That's what we're reading right now about giving. And this is one church that gave to Paul. Whether he was ministering to them, Philippians, or to other churches, they kept releasing the resource to ensure. In other words, they had missional giving. They were not giving because, you know, I have to give a tithe. They understood the word of God has to spread to other places also. And so, and so Paul walks into these moments. He's, he's very soft-hearted inside of his own heart as he listens to the spirit of God. And eventually lands himself in Ephesus um, for the first time. Doesn't seem to, uh, it doesn't seem to pick anything there. Is God here? Is this the will of God? Must I be offering my ministry here? And he leaves Ephesus, but comes back. And the second time, he picks that there's a momentum in the spirit. And the rest is history. And that's how a territory is opened. It is in following the will of God. If it is the will of God, I will come back. It is in following the will of God. That this great and this effective door opens for Paul. I want us to go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. So if we're going to land ourselves in a dimension of God called great and effective door, we've got to be a people that are completely sold to his will. Amen. Not a people who are performing to be seen to be in ministry and to be seen to be successful, but a people who are sold out to the will of God, like Paul was. In Revelation chapter 3, from verse 7, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. Let's say open door. I have placed, and God says I have strategically placed right before you, an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Who claim to be Jews though they are not. But are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. And acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That is going to come on the whole world. To test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. 
the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. It will write, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in the way that this prophecy ends, or this prophetic directive ends, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, means that whatever is said to Philadelphia applies to LSA also. The principles apply. And so here we find Jesus speaking to these seven churches, one of which is Philadelphia. And he speaks, he speaks about, he speaks about an, an opening of a door. And he says, I've placed before you a door that nobody will be able to shut. What can we observe out of this? Firstly, this was Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And that word Philadelphia simply means love for my, for my brothers. So this church is founded on the principle of community. This church has a strong brotherhood that is going on here. Philadelphia. It's captured in the very name, if we apply the prophetic principle, in the very name of the church. To the church in Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia means the love of my brothers. What can God do upon that foundation? Where there is love for my brothers where there is no um, ill-treating of one another. <clears throat> Amen? Where there is true care, authentic care, spiritual care for one another. What can God do with the people that actually love one another, who have brotherly kindness? We have feel the spirit of Philadelphia, Philadelphia inside of their own hearts. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And that spirit of Philadelphia takes us straight into the reality of the sovereignty of God. That church that has a spirit of Philadelphia operates not out of our own strength, but from the strength of God. What God opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one is able to open. There is the reality of the sovereignty of God in operation as God opens a great and an effective door. It no longer depends on Robert and uh, Keegan and Mafa and, and Tammy and Tlanganani. It now depends on the strength of the Spirit of God that is upon us. He says this. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. It's right before you, LSA. It is strategically placed by God. And that door no one can be able to shut. I know that you have little strength. He says, I know what you've gone through. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word. There has been, not only has there been Philadelphia in your midst, there has also been faithfulness to my word. God says, you have kept my word. You've been faithful to the word of the Lord over your life. And have not denied my name. You have stayed true to my character. You have not denied my name. He says, I will make those 
who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet. So there's an acknowledgement that somehow Philadelphia emerges out of an environment of conflict and tension. They ex they've existed inside of a context where there has been conflict and tension and deception and all sorts of things. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge the next thing about a great and effective door. Acknowledge that I have loved you, which is what? Favor. The opening of a great and effective door means there's favor in the spirit that has to be acknowledged not only by God, but also by human beings. They will acknowledge that I have loved you. Not only do you love one another as Philadelphia, but I, I have also loved you. I am actually with you. I'm actually walking with you. I have embraced, I have not rejected you. I have not neglected you. Since you have kept my command, you've stayed true to the things I said to you. To endure patiently. This was a church of endurance. Amen? It was a church that was able to stay true under the most difficult of circumstances. To stay true to the things of God. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And so God is saying, I'm positioning you for, for the future seasons. I'm positioning you for the intensity and the difficulties that are landing upon the earth that are actually going to test the faith. If you have passed this season that you're coming out of, you will be able to face the future. God is saying there's a difficult time that's coming in the future. There's going to be a disruption. It's going to come upon the whole world. But he says, I'm going to be with you, Philadelphia, because you have been faithful to my word. So this church is set by God for a future season. It's positioned by God for what it's gonna, is about to break out in the earth. It's positioned by God for the crises of the future. There's an anointing and God positions and he places because there's a mindset of endurance upon this church. There's a mindset of community upon this church. This is Philadelphia. These are people that love one another. They have loved one another in the most difficult of times. And so God says, I've seen your love for one another. I've seen your endurance in my word and in my command. And I've seen that you have not neglected my, my name and denied it in the midst of a great denial that has break, broken out in your midst. And God says, because of that, I'm placing a great and an effective door before you. Amen? I'm placing it right before you. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God says this. The, your, ability, the, your ability to engage with that door does not depend on your own strength. Even though I see that you are of little strength, but actually you're going to be able to tap into the strength of the Spirit of God and like Paul did, you'll be able to engage that great and effective door. And he says this. Not only does he prepare them for a season of the future. He says this. 
I am coming soon. In verse 11. Hold on to what you, ha you have. Now stay true to the, to the journey. Until God breaks out. Stay true to the journey until God breaks out. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So that no one will take your crown. There's a reward, God says. The one who's victorious, who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my new name. So God is saying, well, there's a new role. There's a new anointing that is breaking out and there's a new identity. There's a new role as your position as a pillar in the house. There's a new identity as I write my new name upon you. It is a kind of identity that you have not had in the past or in the present that is going to break out in, 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 in line with the season of difficulty that is coming upon the whole world. Because that's what he says. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world. Do you want to walk in that power of Philadelphia? Love for my brothers. And I, I refuse to be nasty towards my brothers and sisters. But I embrace them. I, I, choose to, I choose to walk in true love. And as I choose to walk in true love, God honors that. He sees that. And he places an effective door. But I wonder as we think about that effective door inside of our own personal lives also. Inside of our own vocational lives. Let's believe God for an effective door. Amen. Let's believe God for an effective door inside of our businesses. Inside of our own personal callings. Let's believe God for an effective door. As something is going to break out. And when God opens the door, nobody will be able to shut it. It's tapping into a realm of divine sovereignty. As beyond the capacity of human authority. To interfere with the things of God. It's no longer God says, I see you of little strength, but actually this does not depend on you. This is on me, God says. It's not on you. It's going to happen on my account. On the basis of my strength and capacity, you shall be able to do these things. God says. There's a great and there's an effective door. But we see Paul tracking his moments of difficulty. Just as he had a great start in Acts chapter 13 with the commissioning of prophets and teachers in Antioch, that conflict breaks out in his team and he has to lose his partner in the purposes of God. And that would have thrown him into some level of confusion. Like, God, what's going on? I thought you said Paul and Barnabas. You know, you know the prophetic words that you receive that <laughs> you don't imagine a future with certain, without certain people. Because of the way and the manner in which God spoke. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. And, and yes, wrestle with that. And as though that was not enough. You know, he also has to wrestle with the breaking out of confusion of doctrine. He has to wrestle with, with God, the spirit of God saying no and keeping him limited for a while. And he has a, he's praying, God, what, what's the direction here? Do we have the necessary discipline? And when God says no, we actually will, will stay put. We will not move in our own right. 
and by our own will, because of the pressure to perform the things of God or to be seen to be productive? Do we have the necessary maturity to, to actually do that? That we are not doing this for somebody who might be watching on social, in social media and checking your next activity and say, hey, it's been quiet there. It's been quiet in that village. What's going down there? What's God doing? And the urge then to report some level of activity or to even fabricate it. To even fabricate it because we have to prove a point. I was in a meeting with, with some leaders and just considering whether about certain thing about certain decision that had to be taken. And I said to the leaders, you know what, guys, each time we say yes to something, 10 people around us are also saying yes by, by default. So let's be responsible with our choices. Because man, church can be on the go. Eh? And, 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 and sometimes leaders and pastors feel the pressure because people want the activity. Well, some people will leave you if you don't have the, like what's going on here, we want the activity. There's no activity here, it's kind of dead. And Paul has to go back to his team and talk to them, oh, God is saying no, guys. Until God says yes, a man from Macedonia, and that break eventually leads to Ephesus. It is in Ephesus that Paul is writing, or in reference to Ephesus that Paul is writing about a great and an effective door. The rest is history. So actually, a new territory opens up, which they had not been. It was, they were not familiar with Macedonia. They were quite familiar with Asia. This was a new territory. And we have to thank God, because actually through their obedience, you and I eventually got to hear about the gospel, right? But it was not easy. Eventually, the whole of Europe would open, would link to Africa. Eventually, things would open up. But it was not easy. It took discipline to hear the word of the Lord and to be directed by him and not by physical energy and the need to populate our calendar. As a personal discipline, adopt this, this principle. God, I don't want to populate my calendar except in your purposes in the things that you send me to do. I don't want to do things just so that I can be seen to be doing things. I want the discipline to hear you when you say no and to stay where you're positioning me. How many people, when people talk about purpose and prophetic and that, that, that talk about no, God said no. When last did you hear someone say that? Actually, God said no. It's always in the yes, right? The gear is always yes. We're doing things, man. God is breaking out. Maybe, maybe some of it is not God. Amen? A great and effective door. Mega energy. Mega energy is what we pray for today. Mega energy. The ability to scale up the things of God with the energy that comes from heaven. And not by our own strength. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus.